Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on guys? Welcome to another post game live here on Dime Dropper and tonight is a big one live from Los Angeles home of a Western Conference Finals team and it's not mine per usual. It's the Lakers back in the Conference Finals after defeating the Warriors in six games and potentially Ending the dynasty as we know it. Now, obviously, there's no confirmation on that. We're going to be getting into it all. But a commanding win. The fourth blowout out of six in this series for either team. The Warriors lose it. 122 to 101 at the Staples Center. The Lakers continue to be undefeated at home in these playoffs. And it is very much the exact same pattern as the Grizzlies game. They won game one, lost game two, took care of business at home. Game four was the close one. Game three was the blowout. Game five, they got beaten up. And in game six, they won decisively. It's almost the exact same pattern. Actually, not almost. Damn damn right is. uh, Damn near is the exact same thing as the Grizzlies series. But shout out to everybody in the live tonight. I know there's going to be a lot of Laker fans watching this video. Maybe not tonight, but tomorrow. It is a Friday night. And I chose to stay in, even though I'm getting a little bit of FOMO right now. All my friends are telling me to go out. But I had to do this to go live the night the Lakers win the series. I knew what this was like for my channel, so let's get into it. I think that the Lakers came out with the start that set the tone. You have to come out and set a tone in these kind of games, and they absolutely did. 27 to 10, they led after one. The Warriors were missing everything. The Lakers were hitting. And right off the bat, you knew it was going to be a long night for Golden State. And it was going to take a lot to get the job done. The crowd was fired up. Again, I want to give a shout out to the Laker fans. They've done a really good job. As I said, they've had a different sense of urgency as a crowd in these playoffs. Because it's the first time they've hosted playoff games with a full sold out crowd in 10 years. But the Lakers immediately were taking advantage of one thing and that was that Andrew Wiggins who's done an amazing job on LeBron James all series long was being targeted in the post LeBron has not had success scoring on Andrew Wiggins in this series but tonight given the rib injury that LeBron caused I might add obviously not intentionally trying to hurt him but he was really sticking his forearm into his ribs and was really testing him out And Andrew Wiggins, he couldn't do it. He didn't really guard LeBron that much more, and his minutes were limited more in this game than in other ones. And it was really sad to see because LeBron, he understood that nobody else could fuck with him. And in the post, he was just abusing everybody else. I mean, Moses Moody, Klay Thompson, anytime he got a switch, he was getting whatever he wanted or he was drawing a double team. And LeBron wasn't the only one that was starting out aggressively. D'Angelo Russell 
was in the post as well. Four free throws, a bucket on a post-up where he turned and faced against Curry. And I want to say Steph Curry and Klay Thompson both and Jordan Poole, all three of them were having a tough night defensively. And in the first quarter, the big three, the Warriors' big three, were bricking all their open shots all their open shots. The only reason that they were still in the game was because they were crashing the offensive glass. They were 7-2 to two in offensive rebounds in the advantage after the first quarter. A lot of it was GP2. Now the Lakers, they made an adjustment of their own tonight. They started Dennis Schroeder, and it was a great adjustment because he came out hitting, and you obviously know he's done a better job defensively in this series against Curry navigating over screens. Now obviously the Curry's... Uh, I'm sorry, the Warriors are going to try to put AD in that pick and roll as much as possible, get him in that high drop, take him away from the basket. Now, the Lakers were doing a lot of pre-switching tonight, a lot of it. So before AD was going to come up and set the screen, they would pre-switch from a wing guy. And here's the thing, the Warriors wing players, a lot of them were not hitting outside shots throughout the series, not just tonight. So the Lakers were able to pack the paint so much. And Anthony Davis... I mean, he took away the paint, not just tonight, but in the entire series. And not just that, he's not just taking away the paint. He's taking away Steph Curry's pull-up in that drop coverage. It's not the same drop coverage that Horford was playing last year. This is high drop. He's up there getting ready to contest the shot, and then the rotations are pretty sharp. But not only that, you know, the Warrior players are getting good looks, but they weren't really hitting them, especially Klay Thompson, who... We're going to get into it in a second, but the Lakers started out with urgency and the pre-switching was really working. LeBron, you could see right off the bat, was in much more of a sit down and move my feet, play defense mood, and he was not to be played with tonight. You could see the determination in his body language, that he was staying with Curry as much as he could. He was willing to embrace the challenge even at his age, but the, you know, the Warriors were comfortable putting Curry, uh, LeBron and AD in the pick and roll when LeBron switched on to Curry. But the other guys just weren't really hit, hitting shots. The Warriors were down 27-10 to 10 at one point of that first quarter after Austin Reeves made a corner three. But then the Lakers started to go cold, missed some jumpers, and Curry got two and ones. Oh, and then a step back against Rui Hachimura on a switch. And mind you, when the Lakers went small, they went to that, you know, with AD out, switch everything. And it's just not the same look. Not only do they not have the same rim protection, but the Lakers' perimeter defense is okay. It's really not that amazing. It's not like 2020. But they have AD playing at such a high level that it just seems to be okay. But also, they played against two teams that have a real non-shooter in their starting lineup in these first two series. In the first one, it was Dylan Brooks, who they took advantage of. And they also had Xavier Tillman out there who wasn't a shooter. In this series, it was Draymond Green, Gary Payton, even DiVincenzo did not have a good shooting series. But he did in this game. He had a good game in this one. He brought great energy off the bench on defense. And it was honestly his best stretch of the series. And it got the dubs to only being down by five points after one. But LeBron had nine points in the first. AD had nine points in the first finishing plays. D'Angelo Russell had seven. And Austin Reeves, who played the whole first quarter, was starting to do a little too much with the ball. But one thing you could tell about Reeves, he was not phased by the moment. He was ready. And that guy, I mean, he has so much poise. The amount of credit he deserves for the way the Lakers have won these two series, he deserves a ton of it. 
Shout out to Kevin Schwang. Says, let's go Lakers. The Super Chat. Remember, Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Anything is appreciated. I do this for the people. But second quarter, the Lakers kind of picked it up. The non-AD minutes were hurting the Lakers, as I said. Um, and they weren't getting any easy buckets on the offensive end because you know the Warriors are going to switch a lot. Now, they're going to go with Kavon Looney and drop coverage, but everything else, very switch heavy. Remember, when they have Gary Payton starting, that's Gary Payton, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. So they are going to switch a lot. And I will say in the second quarter, Draymond started having some good moments, some really well-timed help, looking at the basket a little more, some nice passes in transition, and Looney and Draymond were playing together. But by the way, just, just for that shooter's thing, the Lakers are going to look to make Aaron Gordon that shooter in the next series. You know it's going to happen. He's going to have to make the defense pay, but I'm not going to talk about Denver yet. But DiVincenzo, he was giving them a good lift. He was playing with a lot of pace, a lot of energy, but the Lakers responded. And one thing about the Lakers tonight is every time the Warriors seem like maybe they could make a push, they just threw a punch back of their own and had them you know, back down by 10 or back down by 12. They withstood every run, and you got to give the home crowd a little bit of credit for that. I thought Dennis Schroeder in that second quarter's effort was really good getting over screens. And overall, both teams' effort defensively was super high. But you could clearly tell that Wiggins not being able to guard LeBron was really hurting. He didn't look right offensively, didn't look right defensively. Jordan Poole couldn't guard anybody defensively as per. Three fouls in the first half, and he couldn't hit a shot. But Klay Thompson, the amount of good looks he got that he missed was just crazy. He even tried to create off the bounce a little bit and was just getting tough shots, but shots that he's made his whole career wasn't hitting. And he had had two bad shooting nights in a row. So you really thought that, especially with the whole Game 6 clay narrative, that's going to be more of a meme now after this. I think that Game 6 against OKC was just a great game. That Game 6 against Houston was just a great game. But... After this, I don't want to hear Game 6 Clay anymore. And I'm a big Clay Thompson fan. Like, he's my favorite warrior. You know, obviously, I have history with him. Um, his brother going to Pepperdine and his um, mom being really good friends with my best friend's aunt. But Game 6 Clay, I mean, it was embarrassing. All his shots were short. It seemed like the Warriors were really showing their age. Shout out to June 28th, July with the super chat. AR15 at the end of the half. Thank you for giving me my segue. But yes, Clay Thompson. He was missing so many good looks and even just, but also just taking some shots where when you're missing like this, you are not prime clay anymore, man. And he still just kind of hijacks the offense at times. And mind you, the Warriors, you know, they did go to a steady dose of high pick and roll with Steph for many games now. And mind you, this is coming off the King series where they got run out. I don't want to say out the gym because they did win, but they got run to the ground and you could see Curry's three ball in this entire series was bad this is Stephen Curry we're talking about the greatest shooter in history and his three ball was short a lot of times this series what Ricky G was saying was true the whole time he was proven right that it, it wore on his legs the motion offense worked better for other guys Clay was not in the same rhythm after they went more high pick and roll Poole wasn't in the same rhythm but that being said they didn't have much of a choice because those other guys were not reliable on the ball and Steph would have too many possessions where he wouldn't touch the ball or be involved in the action he would be an off-ball decoy but these other guys aren't making shots so you had to put the ball in his hands the point is moral of the story whether it was on ball or off ball 
the Warriors supporting cast was not good enough this year. And I don't want to be that guy because, listen, I'm not a stan. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Steph was better than LeBron in 2018. I think LeBron James was the best fucking player in the world in 2018. And I think he was the best player in the world in 17. But he played a better team. Stephen Curry was better than LeBron James this time. But he did not play. He was on the worst team. It very much felt like Steph Curry was the only star on this team, this series. And the Lakers had two. But tonight, Steph does not get a pass. He tried, he huffed, and he puffed, but he could not score, and you started to see that he was not the same this year defensively. I've been calling it out all year, and last year when he was targeted, he stood up to the task, and he was able to make big defensive plays. This year, no, he, he, he was abused. D'Angelo Russell got his way with him. Austin Reeves put him in the blender in the first half. LeBron was getting easy looks. and like I'm not saying Steph could ever guard LeBron, but he had moments in the past where he did a decent job you know, being physical with him and and causing him to take bad shots. But overall, Steph Curry's defense was was not as good this season for me. And he just, he showed a sign of age. He's going to start to decline. This is normal when you're that age. He's still a top three player in the league to me. He's still the reason why I think that the Warriors can still win championships in the near future. But before I talk about the whole roster stuff, let's finish out on the game. The Warriors cut it down. They really did. They were trying to do everything they could to get AD out of the paint. But a huge play, and I think this play really turned the momentum of the game. Anthony Davis, huge block at the rim late in that second quarter on the last possession. And then Austin Reeves hits a half-court shot to put the Warriors up by 10. A potential five-point game at half became 10. And the Splash Brothers were 6-for-23 at the half. Anthony Davis may have missed his last two shots before halftime, but he had 12 rebounds. And the only reason the Dubs were only down by 10 was because they were actually out-rebounding the Lakers by 10 on the offensive glass, 12-2. to But in that third quarter, you saw what, in my opinion, was the best quarter of the entire playoffs for LeBron James. He held court like a fucking jester. He had this game in the palm of his hand. Even at this age, he repeatedly targeted Curry in the pick and roll. He got good looks in the post or good looks for his teammates out of the post. He knew that Wiggins couldn't guard him anymore. He was too banged up. That killed the Warriors and Wiggins came out of the game like five minutes in. And after that, the Warriors couldn't hit any more shots. Clay Curry. Curry was trying. He had a good third quarter, but nobody else could hit shots. The Lakers got out and transitioned a bit, and LeBron was being uber aggressive. Other guys were making threes, and then when Poole came into the game to give the Warriors more offense, LeBron went to being the screener because he knew that the Warriors would not want to switch Poole onto him. That caused Poole to hedge the screen, and now you have LeBron going downhill. So you got to pick your poison. Either you're rotating against LeBron at the rim, or he's finding an open shooter. And D'Lo made a corner three, Reeves made a corner three in that third quarter, and you knew with the way the Warriors were shooting the ball and the fact that Wiggins couldn't guard that it was curtains. Take five with Ty. The Super Chat says, can't help but think Rondo would have been right if the Clippers were healthy. Lakers and Clippers in the conference finals. Rondo's basketball IQ is crazy. What do you mean Rondo? Was he talking recently and I missed it? But anyway, it was just an amazing quarter from LeBron. Anthony Davis, his rim protection was just second to none. His defensive performance in these playoffs has been Bill Russell-esque. 
I'm not even kidding. Like, he's literally affecting so many shots. He's guarding the perimeter. He, it's been one of the best defensive showings of any player I've ever seen in my entire 18 years watching the playoffs live. I know that's not a lot, but I've seen some really great defensive players. And Anthony Davis, these first two rounds, was as dominant and versatile a defender as I've seen. He is, without question, the best defender in the NBA. It is a significant distance to me between him and Draymond or Jaron Jackson. It truly is. He is, again, showing exactly why the Lakers gave up everything for him. He is showing exactly why people like myself said that he one day would be the best player in the NBA. While he never fulfilled that potential, what he needed to do was be the number one guy on this Laker team as LeBron aged. And while it came two years too late, it's starting to happen in front of our eyes. But that being said, LeBron James was the best player tonight. He was. He dominated. He knew the moment. And his defense was as sharp as he has been all season long. But I have to say I'm disappointed in the Warriors. It was just never really that close they cut it down to about 11. And by the way, Dennis Schroeder got ejected for taunt. Oh, I will say this. Draymond got away with a tech by sticking the ball in his face. But when you already have a technical and you're taunting like that, and the NBA is so anal about taunting these days, you're kind of asking for it. So Dennis Schroeder, he was ejected. It, it didn't really make a difference in the end. The Lakers win it 122-101, to 101, end the series and defend home court. you got to give it credit to them. Two straight series, they've done what the lower seed has to do, the textbook way to win a series. You just steal one of the first two, defend home court. Okay, you lose game five because the other team's desperate. Finish it on your home court in six games. Pish posh, bing, 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 out of here. That's how they do it. And you're going to have to do the same thing in the next round. But that's the thing. Three series in, the row, in a row on the road. I always say that's what's so hard to do. But if there's any team with the mental toughness and the resilience, it's a LeBron James-led team with a guy playing at the defensive level that Anthony Davis is playing at. Let's read the lines, the team stats first for tonight. The Warriors shot 38%. Now, credit, the Lakers kept them out of the paint and made life tough for them. There's no question about it. But 38% is just not good enough. They had a lot of good looks. They didn't make them when they counted. The Lakers, on the other hand, shot 52%. And listen to this stat, guys. They shot 28 less shots. 28. Lakers had 7 turnovers. Warriors, 11 turnovers. But you know the biggest difference? 42 free throws for the Lakers. 14 for the Warriors. And I don't want to hear a fucking thing about officials. You chuck threes all game because you're scared shitless of Anthony Davis. Let's stop the bullshit. All you motherfuckers, all, not the real loyal ass Bay Area really good Warriors fans that I follow that are amazing. Not them. But all you agenda pushers and are also my friends crying literal puddles of tears about the officials when you guys just chuck threes, have no post presence, are playing against a huge front line, and have Jamichael Green as your third big after Looney and Draymond, and you want to talk about foul shots. They attack the paint. You guys shoot the first three you see. You don't attack, and you're getting blocked. He's altering so many shots. I'm not seeing bullshit. I'm not seeing bullshit. I'm watching the games, and there's no bias. I wanted the Warriors to win the series. I wanted the Warriors to win the series because I like the way they play basketball. But too many fucking threes. 
And I'm not even saying that they were, that's the way they play. If there's any team I'm okay with them shooting threes, it's the Warriors. Steph Curry got into his mid-range and he made them this series. Jordan Poole just missed every shot he fucking took all series, all playoffs. Klay Thompson had his worst series that he's had in all the years to me that I can remember in the Kerr era. I've never seen Klay Thompson shoot. Like Eventually he comes through. Eventually. Not this year, I guess. But the difference is that Clay can't guard the same way he used to. That's the major difference. Before, it wasn't that bad because he's still guarding elite players. Now, he's not the same. He has decent defensive moments, but over the course of the season, you can see it. You can see it. What other stats do we got to read? 27% from the three-point line. So that you were never going to win like that. 13 for 48. Lakers only shot 26 threes. So they shot 22 less threes and shot 28 more free throws. I mean, you're going to win the game. 50% from three, by the way, for the Lakers. So they actually shot well from three, too. Lakers also had 22 fast break points to the Warriors' eight. And you know what Warriors fans are going to say? We only had two less points in the paint, um, but they uh, had 28 more free throws. Make that make sense. Again, you need to just grow up and stop watching basketball with such a fucking simplistic lens. They shot 22 more threes than the Lakers. 22. You shot 28 more shots. Do you want to know why? Because a lot of those possessions were ended at the foul line for the Lakers. You couldn't guard LeBron in the post. Maybe one or two calls were bad. I don't want to hear it. You got outplayed in this series. The Lakers were too big. So finally, finally, after all these years, and mind you, a lot of it's the decline of Draymond and Clay. I acknowledge it. And Poole. But all these years, we talked about the Warriors would lack, they lack size. They can get beasted on the inside. And they're like, well, it's never fucking worked. That's because no elite big man ever had the adequate help. The only elite, and I like, I have respect for Randolph and Gasol. You know, you, everybody knows that Clip, of any Clipper fan, I have a lot of respect because I hate them so much to this day because of them. But Randolph and Zebo, they weren't, I'm sorry, Zebozo and Marcus Gasol, they weren't superstars. Anthony Davis is a superstar when he's healthy and locked. Actually, you know what? That's a whole conversation. We talk about AD is a superstar or not or whatever. Right now, he's playing like one. So that's all that matters. In 2020, 2020, he was a superstar. In 2018, he was a superstar. Right now, he is playing like the best player, not only on this team, but one of the best players in the entire playoffs. So right now, they look like they've got two superstars. Because even though LeBron may not be in a lot of games, maybe in the majority of games, he's just a super, uh, just a star. But he has, he's LeBron James. Like, he still has superstar quarters. He still has the big, like, his basketball IQ right now is here. And, you know, I was talking about it with my friend Will today. Um, that was on the first time job featuring. That played with Troy Brown, Peyton Pritchard, and them. And he was saying that LeBron has seemed like he's really matured. He's finally seems like he's okay with being that second guy. And, you know, people might say he's been trying to get AD to be that guy for years, but you still see how ball-dominant he was before he passed Kareem's record. I'm not saying it's just because of that, but he was extreme. He wasn't sacrificing that much yet. This is real sacrifice. He's going full quarters without really getting the ball and pick and roll. Like, he's conserving his energy for defense. This is what I've been saying he needs to do. But the difference is he didn't trust that Russell Westbrook team. Now he trusts this team. That's the difference. So LeBron, to me, is playing the most intelligent basketball maybe of his career because 
he's understanding his physical limitations and he's conserving his body in such a way that he wants, he knows he's the closer. Like AD is the man, but LeBron is still the closer. And I think that's the balance that they've kind of found. And I think it's working really well. But it still is all about AD. It's not about LeBron. It's all about AD. He is the man. He's the one that when he comes out of the game, they look like a team that cannot fuck with any of these teams. He gives them everything. And there's nobody better, in my opinion, to have against the best center and maybe the best player. Actually, you know what? Not maybe. After tonight's game, I'm sorry, Curry. Your two-year run of being the best, in my opinion, has ended. Congratulations to the new best player in basketball. Number 15 from the Denver Nuggets. He can't even jump over an atlas, and he is the best player in a sport filled with athletic monsters. That's Nikola Jokic. So next time you guys want to tell me that Larry Bird wouldn't be great today, you can suck my left and right nut because you don't know shit about basketball, you fucking morons. Because this guy is making the seven-foot demigod Durant look like, a no, like another really decent player. Jokic, that's how good he is, and he because he pump fakes you to death, has amazing footwork, and he has a supremely high basketball IQ with elite passing mechanics and touch. You know who had all those things minus the seven feet? Larry Bird, when he was a faster player with much more athleticism, and he was a better outside shooter and had a better left hand. But you know, let's continue with our narratives. But anyway, let's let's just finish off this game before we go to Denver. Let's read the Warriors' lines. Moses Moody, six points, five rebounds, two for five from the field, and two for three from deep. I thought that he shot the ball well in this series, but against LeBron in the post, he was getting abused. I mean, it's his first real playoff action. I mean, big, you know, it happens. LeBron's got grown man strength. And then you've got Jordan Poole, who just ended what was a nightmare playoff run for him. Seven points, four assists on 3 for 10 shooting and 0 for 3 from deep. Dante DiVincenzo, 16 points, 4 rebounds, 6 for 12 on the field and 4 for 8 from 3. He probably had his best game, honestly. I thought he was pretty good. Probably should have played more, but they went with Clay. I mean, he's Clay Thompson, so he's going to get the, you know, the, the, you know, reverence from, from uh, Steve Kerr. Kavon Looney, 9 points, 18 rebounds in 26 minutes on 4 for 7 shooting. I mean, I thought Loon did his job. It was a plus 4. Then the starters, Gary Payton the second only played 10 minutes because he couldn't shoot the ball. Even though he was 2 for 3, maybe a short leash with him, but they just weren't even you know acknowledging him on defense. And then Draymond Green, 4 for 8 from the field, 1 for 3 from deep, 9 points, 9 rebounds, but still too many times where he's just not looking at the basket. Uh, and then Andrew Wiggins, he just didn't have it tonight. It was so sad. He just did not look 100% from the beginning. Um, when He was locking up LeBron all series. Like, that's not even mincing words. He really was. It was when LeBron had a different defender on him that he was his eyes would just light up and he would go to the rim. But tonight, Wiggins couldn't take him in the post every time LeBron would forearm him in the post. Um, you know, body check him. It's fucked. Wiggins had two points. I'm sorry, six points. Two for eight from the field. And then the Splash Bros or tonight. I got to say, the, the Disaster Bros or the Trash Bros. Clay Thompson. Man, this is horrific. Eight points. Three rebounds. Five assists. Three for 19 from the field. Two for 12 from three. Doesn't get much worse. 
Steph Curry. And by the way, this is easily, besides Game 7, Klay Thompson's worst moment. Steph Curry, 32 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. That sounds really good. 11 for 28 from the field, 4 for 14 from 3, 4 turnovers. Another tough 3-point shooting night for Steph. I don't think he had a great game. And they needed him to have a much better one. Lakers, Lonnie Walker, he had a stretch in that second half where he was really going again. 13 points on 4 for 8 shooting and 3 for 5 from deep. Rui Hachimura had a solid game, a really nice block on Jordan Poole at one point in the first half. 9 points, 3 boards on 2 for 5 shooting in 16 minutes. And that was it. You know, Vando played 4 minutes, but it was pretty quiet. It was a big game for the starters. Dennis Schroeder, you know, his 1 for 6 stat line will never tell you but his defense on Curry and the amount of turnovers and illegal screens that he causes cannot go unnoticed. Dennis Schroeder working his ass off. How about another guy who worked his ass off? Austin Reeves. What a game he had. When the Lakers needed it most, he brought it. 23 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 7 for 12 from the field, and 4 for 5. 80% from deep. Austin Reeves. AR-15 was a man amongst boys tonight. He was ready for the fucking moment, and he delivered. D'Angelo Russell, it seems like he's the X factor. I've been saying that for a while. Besides game four, every time the Lakers seem to play well, they win. Or every time he seems to play well, the Lakers win. He doesn't. Doesn't seem like they're nearly the same potent offensive threat. He had 19 points, D'Lo, on 7 for 15 shooting and 2 for 7 from deep. Very timely buckets as well. He came out aggressive, set a nice tone. And then... The duo. It's amazing, amazing that Anthony Davis can only shoot nine times and affect the game like that. I mean, five for nine, 17 points. That sounds like nothing. But then you get the 20 rebounds, the three assists, the two steals, the two blocks, all the other defense he was playing, the seven for 10 from the line, which is whatever. Even when you attempt to bring him out of the paint, he still totally dominates the game defensively. We're seeing a very special run right now from a defensive player, and I don't want it to be unnoticed. Right now, Anthony Davis is the best part on this Laker team, and LeBron is accepting that, and that's the best part about all this if you're a Laker fan. And LeBron James, by the way, who let's talk about him. He was a player of the game tonight. 30 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, 10 for 14 from the field, 2 for uh, 3 from deep, 8 for 11 from the line. He's really shooting his free throws well these playoffs. And just two turnovers. He was spectacular tonight. Just spectacular. He knew what time it was. And LeBron, he's just been so focused in these playoffs. But yeah, as for the Lakers, man, I have to give them a lot of credit. Uh, to go to the conference finals as a 7th seed, to win a play-in game that they barely won, and then to win two series, taking care of business, not losing a home game, it just shows that maybe I was wrong. I said I don't think LeBron and AD could uh, go to the championship anymore with just a good supporting cast and no third star. However, D'Lo plays like a third star some nights. Like tonight, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a low-level all-star. It's, it's, you know, it's an all more of one of those all-star caliber players than an all-star, like a perennial one. But D'Lo's not just some bozo third option. Like, this guy was an all-star, and he's a second pick in the draft. Like, he also is a tough shot maker. So I wouldn't say um, 
So maybe my initial assessment is wrong. It's not a team with just two stars and a bunch of role guys. D'Lo has an all-star appearance. So as far as everybody else, like I think the role players in the Lakers were just better than Golden State. I think their size and physicality came through in the end. But I think the main difference besides the role players was that AD and LeBron had each other to lean on. And Steph didn't really have anybody to lean on offensively in this series. It felt like like the fact that he had to go on ball so much is just a testament to the fact that their incredible offense that has worked for so long just didn't work this time. And last year, Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins and Klay Thompson, especially Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole. Andrew Wiggins was fine. Just this game, he was hurt. Um, but Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson were able to generate and create offense a lot better for this Warriors team last year. And I think Draymond Green was still a little better in that finals offensively. And I also think Anthony Davis is just a different threat defensively in that pick and roll than anyone that they played against with Boston. So the Lakers' physicality wore on the Warriors all series long. They proved to be the better defensive team. They proved to be the team with two stars, maybe even more depending on what you consider. And they also just had the better supporting cast. So they advanced to play the Denver Nuggets in what has its own storylines. Of course, a rematch of the bubble conference finals. But more importantly, a rematch of a historic series the Lakers have always won. Whether it be with Jerry West before Kareem... Uh, I'm sorry, with Jerry West as coach, I think. And then there was uh, mainly Doug Moe's Denver Nuggets, running gun Nuggets, led by Alex English versus Showtime, where Showtime would always beat the shit out of them. And then in my era... Kobe's Lakers against the Denver Nuggets in 08 and 09. But for the first time in NBA history, the Denver Nuggets are the higher seed and the Lakers are the lower seed. So hopefully for the Nuggets, that'll be the difference. Can you believe that for the Denver Nuggets to make history and get to their first finals ever, they have to beat the team that not only beat them in the conference finals in 2020, beat them in the conference finals in 2009, and has always historically just been in their way. There would be no greater revenge than to beat the Lakers to finally make the finals. But for the Lakers, maybe a repeat of the same historic story. It's going to be an amazing final uh, conference finals, man. Jokic against AD. I mean, if there's anyone that can do a job on Jokic, it's AD. However, Jokic's physicality has proven to be a lot for AD in the last couple of years. What really helped the Lakers in that series was having JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. And they don't have those guys anymore. They don't have any backup big. So we're going to see how that goes. But before I do that, we're going to have a real preview of the Nuggets series on either Saturday. Probably the series doesn't start till Tuesday. So we'll have a preview with the Denver Nuggets fan, long overdue, and the Laker fan. So we're going to get into that series more. But let's talk about the Warriors real quick because this is the end for them. I want to say how appreciative I am to have watched this Warriors team have this dynasty since the beginning. Before tonight, I was at the last game that the Warriors got eliminated in the West. One of the best memories of my life, 2014 Game 7. I was in the 300 section, and the Clipper crowd was decked out in red. And I remember when Glenn Rivers, who at the time I still liked, was waving his fist in the air, and he let out this roar to the crowd as Darren Collison was headed to the line. And I remember 
all the hairs on my body were standing up. Like I remember the chills in my body because of everything that had happened in the last six days with Sterling and it was it was a lot for us as fans and for the team. It was I can't even imagine. And to you know after the previous year losing to Memphis and I had been going through it that season. Like I was I've never been a more disloyal Clipper fan than I was in 2013 14 because I was so butthurt that we lost to Memphis the previous year that I was like fuck the regular season like this shit does not matter. Um, and I just was like, I'm just gonna, it's not like I didn't watch till the playoffs, but I watched significantly less games that season. Uh, and then obviously in the playoffs, I was, I was all in and to, to, to win that series was really important for me. And, but I knew the Warriors were going to be back. I didn't, however, think that so soon after the following year, they'd win the championship and start a run that I hadn't really seen in my life. A run in which, when they got Kevin... A run in which involved a 73-win season. I never thought in my wildest imagination that I would see anyone pass the 96 Bulls, and they did. They didn't win the ring, but that was impressive in itself. And then to get KD, that's the part I don't like. But I never experienced a team that I just disliked existing so much because they were so unfair. And part of it is the way they played the game of basketball. Everybody thinks about the Warriors and just thinks, threes, 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 Chuck. No. When I watch the Warriors play basketball, it's their selflessness without the ball. It's the way they move without the ball. And it's the way they collectively were able to defend and have switchable personnel that made them special. And then having players like Curry that are so selfless, having a guy like KD that is so easy to play with, having three players in Steph, KD, and Clay that are so good without the ball and can make quick decisions off the catch. I mean, it just was really, looking back, it's going to be beautiful basketball to watch. But last year was, to me, the pinnacle of it all. Because it looked like the Warriors were done. You know, Clay Thompson having been through so much, tearing his ACL in a finals game and then tearing his Achilles after, you thought he wasn't going to be the same to see them come back and have that kind of, I don't want to even say a Cinderella run because they were the three seed, but it was looking bleak and they just having a peak at the right time. I'd never seen a team win the championship that just kind of peaked in the playoffs. Like they just really weren't playing that great and they found their stride. Um, you could see the Nuggets weren't playing that great heading into these playoffs, but that's because they had the one seed clinched and they were getting bored. It wasn't the same. The Warriors were still kind of fighting last year. And the fact that they, you know, just kind of breezed through the West the way they did last year, and then the finals, they stood up to the task, was so amazing. An amazing moment for Curry. An amazing moment for Clay, But this year was just a lot. From the beginning of the season with, with the punch, you know, you can't tell me that that didn't affect things. Jordan Poole wasn't the same. A lot of that might be tied into his fat contract. And by the way, that's a really tough contract because Jordan Poole, he has a low basketball IQ. Um, He takes very difficult shots. He clearly had lost his confidence this playoffs. And it was a tough season for him all the way around. He might need a change of scenery. I don't know because it was really difficult for him. And he doesn't guard. These players that just don't guard and only do one or two things well, Mainly, it's just about how much, how much they're scoring. They should not be getting paid $30 million anymore. Like, it's just too much. The guys like Looney should be getting the $25 million, not guys like Jordan Poole. And Jordan Poole is, is so talented. I, I want to say that. He's really talented. I like watching him play. But 
He's one of those guys that when his shot's not falling, how else is he contributing? He has tunnel vision. He doesn't use his left hand, and he shoots a lot of bad shots. So whatever the Warriors do with him, I don't know. Um, they kept their faith in him because of his contract, but it was tough to watch. And then as for the core, let me know in the comments if you think this is the end of the dynasty. But it very well might be. Because here's my opinion of it. They're so loyal to those three guys. Steph Curry's not going anywhere. He's still in a position to be the best part of championship team in my eyes. But the lack of shooting for a team that's offense is so built on three-point shooting, it, it's, it's not it. It, is, it doesn't work. You're going to need more shooters um, and guys that can guard as well. And that's the tough part, right? Finding guys that can guard and shoot the ball well. But, you know, Gary Payton, DiVincenzo, I mean, Klay Thompson in this series, these guys... Their three balls just weren't there. Then you have Looney and Draymond who don't shoot. It's very tough. Klay Thompson, I think he should come off the bench. I think his time has passed where he's th that guy anymore. Um, and the reason why I say that is this. He played poorly in this series. And his job is to really just make shots. Like His defense is not what it once was. So he's not doing enough offensively to me, even though he moves really well without the ball and has gravity and whatnot. He's not doing enough for me offensively to justify... I'm sorry, defensively to justify the, high, the shot jacking and you know just the bad shooting nights when it counted. Now listen, if you start Clay again, in my opinion, you, you can't have Draymond, man. Because... The, the, the not looking at the rim thing and then it, the whole podcasting he punched a teammate early in the season like I understand who he is for that franchise but I don't know man I, they need to make a major change there's going to be a major change I, I would be shocked absolutely shocked if they bring all three back and current Bob Myers come back I would be shocked just shocked there's going to be a change and there has to be all good things must come to an end and I think as poetic as it is LeBron James, the man who lost a couple of titles because of the Warriors dynasty, led the team from a leadership perspective, not the best player, to end the Warriors dynasty potentially. The Warriors are going to need to make some changes. I don't believe if they trot out that starting lineup next year with those three, Draymond, Clay, and Steph, I do not think they're going to win the championship. I really don't. They're older now. They're only getting older. Clay does not guard the same way. Draymond doesn't look at the rim. Steph took a step down defensively this year, and his legs caught up to him. He didn't have a good three-point shooting game after what, like game two? It was just not very characteristic of him. And he still had a pretty, really good playoffs. I mean, his game seven masterpiece against Sacramento was big time. But it goes to show, stop bullshitting the regular season. All the Warrior fans were way overconfident, as I said. And they deserve this humbling. They really do. A lot of them were talking way too reckless, starting to act like Laker fans when I was a kid. No, now Laker fans are more humble because they haven't won in a while. I get it. You can be arrogant since you won uh, four titles in the last eight years or whatnot. But every single one of those titles, the Warriors were... One seed, one seed, two seed, three seed. Top three seed, the magic number. So that's my opinion. I think this is the end of this version of the Warriors. It's been an absolute pleasure to watch them. I respect the fuck out of them. Um, and it's, it's awesome that I got to make content on them so I can have this for years to come to watch what I was saying in the moment. And I can maybe, if YouTube's up and these episodes are still up 20 years from now, I can show kids of the generation that were too young to even witness it. But speaking of 
my top three seeds win the championship stance, it's in jeopardy with not one, but two seven seeds. I guess the Heat are technically an eight seed now, but they were a seven seed making it to the conference finals. I think the Miami Heat making the conference finals might be even more shocking than the Lakers. I mean, if you had said that at the two for 10 or two and 10, when the Lakers were two and 10, yes, obviously at that point, it sounds more unlikely, but going into these playoffs, given the way the Lakers are playing, you would say that they could make it to the conference finals over the Heat. The Miami Heat supporting cast was not believed in, and ultimately, I didn't believe in them either, but ultimately, that's what made the difference in these playoffs, is the Miami Heat supporting cast, guys like Caleb Martin, Kyle Lowry, stepped up to the plate so much, and then Jimmy Butler was just virtuoso. But overall, I had a feeling that they were going to win this game, and for the Knicks, it was the exact same thing as 2013. They lost the first game on a Sunday afternoon, then they won game two, lost the games in Indiana, and could just never win on the road. And the Heat, I mean, this was an interesting game tonight, but they won the game just because they closed a little bit better, and Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett did not perform when they were needed most. But Jalen Brunson, I mean, this guy worked his freaking ass off in this game. It was a great start, though, for the Knicks' big three, or as they were called before the season, the mid-three. Brunson had 15 points in the first quarter. He was three for four from three, and a couple of them were those pullbacks. R.J. Barrett was attacking the paint relentlessly, had eight free throw attempts in the first quarter. Randall was aggressive as well, and the Heat were even doubling on all three of them when they were isolated on the right wing, and they wanted to force the shooters to beat them because the Knicks, they don't shoot the three ball well. And the Knicks were up 31-17 at one point in the first quarter. The Heat started out a little bit cold. You had Mitchell Robinson showing nicely on the screens. And for the uh, for the Knicks, Bam Adebayo was hedging the screens and they were forcing the Knicks corner shooters to beat them. And the Knicks got a little bit careless and stagnant at the end of that first quarter, which led the Heat to a 7-0 run to cut it down to 7 going into the second quarter. But Isaiah Hartenstein... I thought he came in and gave the Knicks a solid boost. He was out there hedging the screens, forcing other guys to hit for the heat. And one guy that was doing a really good job was Bam Adebayo. He was being very aggressive, got an and one against Hartenstein one-on-one. He was finishing well in the role and his defense, as usual, really good. I think Bam Adebayo has shown that he's the third best center in the NBA after Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. It's obviously a huge gap, but he's the third best center to me, better than Cat, Ayton, Go bear, anybody you want to say. As far as the Heat defensively and how they adjusted, when Kevin Love was out, and Kevin Love didn't play that much in this game, just 16 minutes, Jimmy Butler would guard Julius Randle. And Julius Randle was 2-for-7 at halftime, taking a lot of tough shots. R.J. Barrett was 1-for-5 at halftime. Thankfully for the Knicks, Obi Toppin came in and hit two threes. But the Knicks were... Let's see what the score was at halftime. The Heat were up by one, 51 to 50 at the half. The Knicks tried to put Duncan Robinson in the action over and over again, and Duncan actually kind of held his own. I thought off the bench, Lowry and Caleb Martin were fantastic on both ends of the floor. Lowry was better offensively than Martin. Martin's defense and just his aggressiveness going for loose balls especially on the offensive glass, is just amazing how he leaps in the air. He gets really high up. Kyle Lowry was able to get to the basket so much this series, even at his old age. 
attacking closeouts, turning the corner nicely, drawing contact, and his defense was so good. Whether he was standing up strong in the post, getting his hands on balls. I mean, Kyle Lowry's playoffs have just been amazing. I remember my cousin Amir, who's going to be joining us in these conference finals, um, and various Heat fans were talking about how washed Kyle Lowry was. And for him to play like this in the playoffs, I mean, I just don't know if anybody expected that, except maybe his loyal Toronto Raptors contingent of fans. But one thing that also stumped the Knicks was the zone, because then nobody would go to the high post. Just another issue with today's NBA. They don't know how to break a fucking zone, even though we have better shooters from three than ever before and more of them. Mitchell Robinson wouldn't go to the middle of the floor. He wanted to set a screen, and you have R.J. Barrett running into Bam at the rim. I mean, it's just bad offense, but thankfully, Jalen Brunson was keeping the Knicks in the game with his amazing in-between game, and it felt like they weren't putting Bam in the pick-and-roll as much. They were putting the guards in the pick-and-roll a lot more, because Bam was doing a great job hedging, and the and the Heat were doing a solid job rotating. Jimmy Butler being 3-for-10 at the half also helped the Knicks stay in the game and be only down by one going into the second half. But Jalen Rose said it. Stephen A. Smith said it. I felt it at halftime that the Heat were in control. And in the third quarter, they started to extend their lead a little bit. But it was very back and forth. Both teams weren't hitting. The intensity was high. This was a very physical series overall. The Heat went by... Went up by five. That was their largest lead of the game through three quarters. The Knicks' offense, though, was very stagnant compared to the Heat. It was literally just clear out one side of the court for Randall or Brunson or Barrett. A lot of times they get double teamed, sometimes not. Um, whereas the Heat, Jimmy would get double teamed by guys like Randall and Toppin because when they would get when they have Randall and Toppin on him, they would send the double. He would move the ball, and the Heat just do such a great job of swinging it on the perimeter. And guys were doing a decent job attacking closeouts and just making shots when they counted. I don't think they hit shots though from three tonight. Yeah, the Heat shot 26% from three. The Knicks 28.6. So both teams didn't shoot well, well from three. The Knicks shot 38% as a team, and the Heat shot 40. So again, you got to like the defense from New York, but only shooting 38% in an elimination game is just not going to cut it. But Brunson, as I said, was keeping the Knicks in it. The Heat had a three-point lead going into the fourth quarter. And I got to give Quentin Grimes credit. Like, he was still doing a solid job on Jimmy. Jimmy was 0 for 3 to start the fourth quarter. Isaiah Hardenstein, I thought, was playing pretty well. And you saw that the Knicks offensively were trying to put Max Struess in the pick and roll. But there was one sequence where Struess hedged and recovered really well. And then hit a huge three off a Gabe Vincent pass to put the Heat up 6-82-76. And as I said, the Knicks were doubling Jimmy with Randall or Toppin guarding him when they were switched on to him. And the Heat were doing a good job swinging the ball. Just a couple times, they weren't able to make their shots. But they went up by as many as nine in that fourth quarter, 85-76. But credit to the Knicks, they just wouldn't quit. And a lot of it was Jalen Brunson. I mean, Bam was doing a really good job hedging the pick and roll and taking away, you know, they would get, get the short roll. But again, the Knicks shooters just not really coming through. And I thought the game was over when the Heat were up by six. 92 to 86 but then we had the Gabe Vincent turnover and the flagrant foul Jalen Brunson made both free throws and then Josh Hart had a layup to cut the game down to two and then the final possession Jimmy Butler missed a pull up Jalen Brunson I forget who he put in the pick and roll but Josh Hart set the screen and I mean Josh Hart was as open as it gets at the top of the key he should have 
slid to his right to give Jalen Brunson a better passing angle. But when Jalen Brunson ran into the double team and was about to spin the other way, instead of the half spin, he had to kick that out to Josh Hart. He didn't trust him in that moment. He wanted to get a shot off himself. And that selfish decision ended up costing the Knicks because, I mean, I don't want to say that's what cost him, but it just cost him in that moment. And it's tough when you're 6'3 to get shots up over shots up over double teams, man. And mind you, Josh Hart was one for four from three. So it was an educated decision, but it was one that cost him because they didn't get the shot off. And then Heat ended at the line. Let me check who made those series clinching free throws because those aren't easy to do. I want to make sure they get their flowers. Jimmy Butler, of course. The Heat win at 96-92 to end the series in six. They win game one and then defend home court the rest of the way, just like the Lakers. Let's read the lines for tonight's game, starting with the Knicks, who shot 38% from the field and 28.6% from three. They turned the ball over 12 times, which is not too heinous. They just didn't shoot well. They played a nine-man rotation, but Deuce McBride only played three minutes. It was a donut for him. He didn't get a shot up. Isaiah Hartenstein played 18 minutes, two points, and a rebound, one for two from the field. And I thought that he actually had a good impact in the fourth quarter. He was hustling. Obi Toppin played 12 minutes. You can argue that maybe he should have played more with the way Randall was playing. But, you know, you rode with the big guns. Seven points, three rebounds for Obi Toppin, two for five from the field, and those were all the shots that he shot were threes. Mitchell Robinson played 29 minutes. He had two points and 11 rebounds. He was 0 for 2 from the field. His only two points came at the free throw line. He didn't have a very good series to me. Um, I think Bam Adebayo was tougher than Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. He showed him what one of the best centers in the league is made of. And Mitchell Robinson, you know, his impact was taken away in this series a little bit because you had to honor Jalen, Br- uh, sorry, Jimmy Butler's mid-range shot and his downhill threat. So you had to pull Robinson out of the paint. And the Heat started beating the Knicks on the offensive glass in their own game. So what we thought was an advantage for New York, their size, it didn't really work out that way because their lack of three-point shooting was exposed. And you got to give credit to Eric Spolstra, who just did an amazing job coaching this team. Like, you can just tell they were the better coach team. Not to take anything away from Tibbs. I think he got uh, the most out of this team. But I said it once. I don't think you're ever, ever going to win a playoff series with Julius Randle as your best player. Well, they didn't. Brunson was their best player. But now I'm going to take it a new one. You're never going to win a second-round series with Julius Randle as your second-best player. I just think his decision-making is terrible. But let's see. Let's talk about someone else now. Quinton Grimes. Three points, one for six from the field. All of his shots were threes. Tough game to not hit your three ball. R.J. Barrett, after having a pretty solid playoffs all the way around, 11 points on 1-for-10 shooting and 0-for-3 from deep. He was 9-for-10 from the line, but, geez, you needed a lot better. And R.J. Barrett, I mean, I think he did take a leap. It didn't seem like it in the regular season, but he did because of the way he played in the playoffs. It was better than last time around for sure. But he still needs to just keep improving on his game, keep improving on his outside shot, on his bag, his handle. We'll see how much better he can become. I said he was going to be an all-star one day. I retract that statement. But he can still be a very valuable player. Randall. Oh, sorry, Josh Hart. Played 33 minutes. He had 11 points and 7 rebounds, so it was a much more solid game for him. 5 for 10 from the field, but just 1 for 4 from 3, and wasn't trusted to take that big shot. Julius Randall. 
in my opinion, if the Knicks are smart, this will be his last game for New York. Um, he's just too erratic. I think he is too emotional. When he when things go wrong, he starts making reckless decisions. His offense is terrible. He he entirely makes life way too difficult for himself. He has such a strong build, but he doesn't want to post up enough. He doesn't want to actually catch the ball low like he used to. He wants to get the ball at the top of the key, wants to play face up, do a bunch of tween cross, step back three like he's a great three-point shooter. He catches the ball way too high, and then he gets disinterested on defense sometimes when his shot's not going. He also makes really bad decisions. He has no understanding of time and place. Three for 14 from the field. One for seven from deep. How can 50% of your shots be threes when you're shooting like that and you're already not a good shooter? 15 points and 11 rebounds. I saw the Knicks fans stomping on one of his like posters at the garden in the watch party. Knicks fans are ruthless, but shit. Jalen Brunson, though. What a season he had. And, I mean, we just got to give him a hand. Let's give some hands for Jalen Brunson, guys. He may have not trusted Josh Hart at the end, but he carried this Knicks team. He carried them. He's going to be involved next year. What a pickup for the Knicks. What a moment for Brunson this season. 41 points. Four rebounds, three assists on 14 for 22 shooting. An amazing 5 for 10 from three, which is just insane. Eight of nine from the line. As for the Knicks, I think you get rid of Randall, and then you see what you can get. I think there's definitely teams that Randall could help. And hope these young players take a leap. All those young players, Quinton Grimes, Deuce McBride. I know Josh Hart's not really that young, but it was his first playoff appearance. RJ Barrett need to practice their three ball. Need to. Because Brunson's going to create a lot of good shots. So go out and try to get some 3 and D guys. I mean, everybody, everybody can say that. Go out and get some 3 and D guys. But if you can get some guys that can shoot the ball and defend at a decent rate, that's big. But ultimately, I think the Knicks are one superstar away from being a legit championship contender. I think Brunson can be the second best player. I think they need a number one. Who's out there? That's another conversation. But what a season for the Knicks. I just want to say to all the Knicks fans, it was awesome seeing the excitement for you guys this year. It wasn't quite what it was in 2021 in the regular season, but the playoffs were so electric. Seeing sold-out MSG again was dope. I still have never seen the Knicks make the conference finals in my life. They made it when I was a one-year-old, but... That day will have to remain. Uh, or th th That weight will have to remain, I should say. As for the Miami Heat, what a run. Heat culture is truly a real thing. Jimmy Butler, it all starts with him. The way he's put this team on his back. Bam Adebayo, quietly having a really good postseason. But it's the other guys. Eric Spolstrup deserves a lot of credit. They obviously got a little bit of luck with Giannis shitting the bed, but also the Bucks getting injured. And the Knicks... In the second round. I mean, it's just beating the Bucks was that luck. You knew if they beat the Bucks, they could probably beat the Knicks or the Cavs. They're role players. I mean, they've really done this. They've really shown that defense wins. Their offense isn't great sometimes, Miami, but their defense is. And a lot of that is Bam Adebayo. Let's talk about the nine men that played tonight. Cody Zeller. I don't think he was that good at all. The Knicks actually made their run, I feel like, when Zeller was in the game. Nine minutes, a donut. Wow, he's actually plus 10. Well, a donut. He was hedging the screens. No shot attempts in nine minutes. Duncan Robinson played 14 minutes. Six points, two for seven from three. Those were all his shots. Kevin Love played 16 minutes, three points. Only shot one time. It was a three and he made it. But defensively, I don't think they liked what they were seeing. And then 
Caleb Martin off the bench. Just what a postseason it's been for him. So athletic, making timely threes, timely plays, eight points, five rebounds to go along with a steal on three for seven shooting and one for three from deep. What a performance in the playoffs so far, or what a postseason he's having. And then Kyle Lowry was just spectacular yet again. I just I have no more words to say about the way he's playing right now. 11 points, 4 rebounds, and 9 dimes for Lowry to go along with 3 steals and a block. His active hands have just been incredible. And then 31 minutes for Gabe Vincent, who had a solid all-around game tonight. He was not good from the 3-ball, 1 for 5 from deep, but he was 3 for 8 overall. 7 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists. I thought he was pretty physical on the defensive end. Max Toasterstrudel, 14 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 dimes. 4 for 11 from the field and 1 for 6 from deep. So he and Gabe Vincent combined shot 1 for 11 from 3, but they made big shots, timely shots. And from 2, they both shot pretty well. And then the Stars. Bam out of the bayou. Was my player of the game tonight. 23 points, 9 rebounds, 2 steals and a block. 9 for 20 from the field, as I like, no three-point attempts, and was 5 for 5 from the line. Bam has done such a great job defensively. He can switch 1 through 5, but oftentimes he'll drop or hedge because you don't want your guard guarding the opposing team's center a lot of the time. He still isn't showing me a give-me-the-ball-and-I'm-going-to-score-20-points-a-night kind of attitude, which I think they're going to need if they want to win the championship. They're going to need it, in my opinion. But defensively, he does amazing things. He's a great roller, and he's still showing signs of that mid-range shot and that push shot in that role to keep the defense honest. Bam Adebayo, big time so far in these playoffs. And then Jimmy, who didn't have a great game, but he's still attracting double teams. He's still playing great defense, and without Jimmy Butler, this is not even close to the same team, and it's not a win tonight without Jimmy Butler. And also, I want to say, I think the Heat play better without Hero. I could be wrong on that, but their defense is better, and it's less ball-stopping, and it's more Jimmy-initiating. Jimmy Butler, 24 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists on 7 for 22 shooting and 0 for 3 from deep, but 10 for 11 from the line. The Heat shot 23 for 25 from the line. The Knicks shot 28 for 32 from the line. So both teams shooting pretty well. The difference in the end was the closing, and I just think the Heat were the better team. They had the better player, and they had the supporting cast that was better and the better coach. I don't really think it's a series like the Knicks should have won. I kind of feel like the way it was with Melo. I think that you feel like you probably could have won, but should they have won? Nah. I think the lower seed was just the better team in this in this instance. And now we got the Heat probably going to rematch the Celtics again. So I will be live. Oh, it's Mother's Day on Sunday, isn't it? If I can be live before whatever gathering I have to attend. Uh, worst case, I'll be live at night. But that Celtics 76ers Game 7. So we got one Game 7 in the second round. So two Game 7s so far these playoffs. It's going to be epic. A Game 7 between Philly and Boston is no joke. I can't wait. I'm obviously going to be live after that game. But if I had to predict, I'm going to stick with my pick. And that was Celtics in 7. So that means we're going to get an identical conference finals to that of the glorified Summer League. Oh my God. The narrative is going to be crazy with that one. Celtics and Heat. I don't think the Heat are beating the Celtics. Um, can they beat them? Yeah, I think they can if the Celtics play with their food, which they se- seem to show the tendency seem to show the tendency to do. But I think the Celtics should beat them again. 
So yeah, we're going to get a rematch probably. We're going to get a rematch of some series from last year, whether it's Heat versus Sixers again or Heat Celtics. The Heat have now made it to two straight conference finals and three out of the last four in this Jimmy Butler era. That's pretty amazing. But that's it for me tonight, guys. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Super chat to turn on if you want to drop a dollar a dime. Thank you so much for joining me all throughout the second round. We've got one more game to do, and that's on Sunday. I hope even though it's not the Lakers, you guys show up in numbers. Peace.